0: We'll stick with this one for now.
1: Okay. <laughs> those additional things that you add on towards the end of that. Well, well welcome, friends. I, I'm having a conversation with Brad. Sorry, random thoughts by Dave. Welcome to the Pastor's Cut podcast, friends. We're so glad that you're listening to us. My name is Dave. We have with us in the sound booth, Brad. He he plays well with the keys. Henderson.
0: Ah, that's a nickname. Okay, he plays well with... It's like a, a Native American name. He, plays, he who plays well with keys.
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm not Sounds sure. good. Can I say that? I'm not sure I can <laughs> well, you are married to I'll, American, I'll be, so I'll be I told I think... later if I can or not. <laughs> oh, I'll get you in trouble there. Sorry. So um, this morning, we are looking, I say this morning, we're recording in the morning, whether you're listening in the morning or afternoon or evening, um, we are recording this podcast for Sunday, February 11th. 2024. It's hard to believe we're already looking into February. My goodness. Yeah, Ash Wednesday is in like two weeks. Isn't that nuts? Yes, it is absolutely nuts. Here we are looking at Ash Wednesday and Easter's just gonna be around the corner at the end of March, and man, this year's already flying by. That's all right. So as we're looking ahead, we're in the middle of this series looking at what what Darren has, has coined, start here. If there's one place to start in Scripture to understand the teachings of Jesus, we're looking at Matthew 5, 6, and 7, his, his Sermon on the Mount or Discourse on the Mount. And as we're looking at that, I thought it'd be fitting maybe this morning to enter into the text that we're looking at today by talking, oddly enough, about reality TV show. So Brad, what, what's your favorite reality TV show? Or have you ever got into any kind of reality TV? Zip, zero, nada. Not even any of the outdoors stuff or nope. fishing stuff? Nope. Because usually they're not based on reality. Yeah, that's true. It's like put
0: it's it, all staged. Yeah. Well, here's here's my thing, and I'm probably going to sound all like negative grandpa here. Like the Survivor series, which was the first one of the first things that came on as a reality TV thing. They're not dropping them in a place where there's no one. They still have cell <laughs> signal. The convenience store is still around the corner, and they're videoing it. What's that say to the rest of the world
1: about how tough we are <laughs> as a nation? <laughs> if you're dropped around the corner from a convenience store, and there's a whole camera crew that's right yes, there yes. while you're solo all alone. Yeah. Yeah. Dro- drop them at the top of
0: Alaska and say, make it to, to Nome. Uh, if we see you, cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it just seems... I, I I've never I've never gotten into it. I just don't understand the craze. And there are people who are insanely obsessive about it. Just have you seen episode 400 and, ah my wife watches <laughs> my wife watches The Curse of Oak Island, which is not really a reality TV show, but sort of it is. They're digging for buried treasure on this island off the east coast. And guess what? In 12 seasons they've not found it yet.
1: They you haven't found a do you, single do you know, piece of
0: gold. Do you know why they haven't found it yet?
1: There's nothing there.
0: Because if they find it, the show is over. That's true too. So I, I give her a hard time. I was like, Bigfoot has a better chance of finding the gold than these guys because
1: <laughs> 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 at least we know yes. he's real. You know, I'm just kidding. Oh, that's anyway, hilarious. Anyway, so, so yeah. How about you? When I was goodness, um, I don't really just watch a whole lot of. Shows period right now. I'm, my nose is in books. Back a few years ago, I got into uh, Mountain Men, which was yeah. just yeah. random show supposedly about people out in the middle of nowhere. But there was a camera crew with them, and you could totally see it was staged. And eventually, some of the some of the people that were originally followed got so fed up with it. Look, I, I don't want a crew with me. I just want to yeah. go and do my own thing. Thank you, but no thank you. And you could see how they just how their attitudes changed towards it. But back in um, I remember in the nineties when, when it became a thing, there was there were a series of a few of them where, where there was the secret that was involved in it. So that they, they added a hook like you know the undercover boss or the, the mm-hmm. secret millionaire for the instead of the, the bachelor bachelorette they had a guy that was a millionaire that they, they tried to dress down to make look like an ordinary person, or verse of that, the, the Joe Millionaire show. Where a guy was supposed to be a millionaire, but he wasn't. He was an ordinary guy. Even okay. though he wasn't an ordinary guy, he was an actor, and I could have gotten cast for that. Yeah, you could have.
0: Yeah, someone who you know would like to act like a millionaire, but is not. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brad, can do, I spend someone else's money? It's kind of what it boils down
1: to. Do. Yes, and get paid uh, a yeah, uh, yeah, fortune yeah. While, while you're doing it, it. Yeah. so you can actually become a millionaire by the end of the show. Yes, that's so. What Steve Martin always said. I'm going to I, tell you how to become a millionaire. First of all, get a million dollars. I find it fascinating <laughs> how, how our culture is, is enthralled with money, and, and that's kind of the center of things. I also find it fascinating that our culture is enthralled with this, this idea of let's hide something and be secretive to it. And I remember watching those shows in high school and in college and thinking, they're, they're creating this false dilemma, trying to make everyone suck everybody into this, this reality that, that somehow... We're, we're deceiving people, and so it's a bad thing, but, but we're trying to do it because this is what we set out to do. Yeah. It was it's an odd... It's a faulty premise. Yes. Well, as we enter into the text, there is no faulty premise, but there is, a, there's there is, is some there's a tension that's nice. there going on in, in Matthew chapter 6. And so I'll go ahead and read the passage, see if you can pick up on that, that dilemma or that issue that's present in the text... And maybe even bring that up with your group. Maybe that's a good entry point for you guys to to begin as you're talking about this with your group. So Matthew 6, verses 1 through 18, "...be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by the people." Truly, I tell you, they have their reward, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your Father may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you so there's a lot going on in this passage there's if you want to break it down there's three maybe four movements depending on how you want to break it down as you look through this as as you start off the first verse sort of sets the pace for this series of small mini-teachings looking at giving and praying and a model prayer and even fasting. He says in verse 1, "...be careful to practice your righteousness not in front of others to be seen by them." There's something interesting about that, and so maybe a good way to begin your group and, and to begin your conversation together is actually by looking through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Look at every time Jesus talks about righteousness. See if maybe from that you can extrapolate some form of definition of what is righteousness. Brad, just off the cuff, if you were to define what does it mean to be righteous, or what is righteousness all about, what would you say? Holy was another word that seems
0: to be the same thing to me. Yes. Um, Without fault. Yes. Um, Without blame. Um, And, of course, we all sort of know that the only person
1: who's capable of that is not us. Yes, also true. (laughs) And and so it's it's fascinating if you look back at Matthew 5.20, um, Stuart, who, who was filled in the pulpit for Darren on Sunday, he, he spoke to this, uh, "...unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven." And the Pharisees were, they were the cool guys! In, 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 at the time of Jesus, uh, at the, in the first century world, everybody looked to the Pharisees and thought, man, if anybody knows what it's like and they've got it all together, it's the Pharisees, because they're the ones that are, very obviously, they're the ones that are the most closest to God, they're doing everything right, And the Pharisees actually had that attitude, because you step back in time a few hundred years, they thought the only way that they could get out of occupation from another nation where another nation had conquered them was to raise the bar for personal holiness. And so they chose to themselves commit to holiness, and then by putting on this public display, they thought that somehow they would inspire other people, but as you often know is true, when you see someone who looks perfect and acts perfect, but you also know what's going on on the inside, instead of being an encouraging thing, it ends up being a discouraging thing. You don't want to see that, you don't want to follow that. And so as you talk about that, maybe you can also talk about what is this tension that Jesus is talking about with being hypocrites, and, and you know, how does that play out in the middle of all of this? with giving in secret in particular, as he rounds the corner, I would have a conversation really with all of these. What's the ultimate goal in using any of these spiritual disciplines? Giving, praying, fasting? Because Jesus, every single time, comes back to one answer. That's, we do it in secret for a Father. Our ultimate goal is to connect with God, not to please other people or or, or put on a show for other people. It's all for God, and when I hear that phrase, repeating it again and again and again, where I go, I think about worship. Maybe another way to, to talk in another segue in your community group, see if you can define worship. What does it mean to connect with God? How do you, as a member in your group, connect with God? Maybe you could even share a story from your life of what you do in your quiet time, what you do when you're alone with God, and see if maybe that can encourage other people in their connection with God. The Greek word for worship is the word proskuneo. It, it actually describes a very intimate encounter with God, where it's not just this, this passive sort of, yeah, I'll get to it whenever, but it actually describes a thriving relationship where you're intentionally invested in, in closely moving with the other, laying down, uh, bowing prostrate before God, or, or an act of surrender to God. But it it's, requires close proximity to God. God invites us to be in close proximity with Him to not use these disciplines as a means to impress other people, but to draw close to God. And so maybe within your group, you could talk about what do you do to draw close to God? What works for you? Here's another cool tip that I would suggest if if I were leading a discussion about this passage. As you look at the model prayer from Matthew 6, 9 through 13, I would actually look at the focus of it. What's the goal of the prayer? So many times when we pray, and even in the passage before, Jesus talks about how, how, how Gentiles just babble when they pray, thinking that a bunch of words is going to get God's attention, and then Jesus prays differently. He, what's the focus of his prayer? What's the attention of his prayer? A lot of it is upward and outward instead of an inward-focused prayer. So many times what we do when we're doing spiritual disciplines is we're just either looking at it for ourselves or we're looking at what can we get out of the deal. The goal of spiritual disciplines is to connect with God. It's to grow closer to Him. It's not to do anything else. And so I'd encourage you as you're looking through this and, and looking through each of these, maybe even break apart these disciplines to say, how does this help me draw closer to God? What does this do to help me connect with God at a deeper level? Specifically with the Lord's Prayer, you might even divide up each portion of the Lord's Prayer and have one person or two people maybe meet in smaller groups within your group and and have them say, okay, what does this say about how we can connect with God? Or what does this say really about what it means to worship God, to connect with Him? And as you talk about that, then circle back together and have a discussion to say, how is this prayer, at this portion of the prayer, different than the typical prayer that we pray when we're praying for a right prayer, praying for somebody that we know to be healed, to, to feel comfortable, or whatever. But how is this prayer different? And what is Jesus inviting and challenging us to do based on this? It could be some helpful stuff for you. The last thing that I want to talk about, because I don't want to steal any thunder from Darren and what he's going to be speaking in a few weeks, is fasting. Fasting. The last section, Jesus talks about fasting, and so maybe I'd throw out a question to the group. Has anyone ever tried fasting? And not the intermittent, the the trendy thing where you can fast to lose weight, but actually fasting is a spiritual discipline. If you haven't tried it, that's all right. Um, There are some great resources that are out there to look at, to help walk through it, I'd suggest, if you don't have a copy, that you pick up a copy of Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline. That is a fabulous book that actually talks about several spiritual disciplines and how we can use those disciplines and cultivate those to create in us a hunger and a longing for God to run hard after Him. But within there, he has a whole chapter dedicated to fasting. It's fascinating because he talks about the science of fasting, and so if you've never looked at what happens to the body... When you fast, or if you've just always been worried, man, I'm just going to be hungry, I don't know what to do with that, he actually walks through what to expect for the first meal, for the first 24 hours, for the first three days, for the first seven days, even for 40 days, and, and he talks about longer, faster, longer fasts and shorter fasts and everything else. So it's a great launching point then to talk about, okay, what does it look like to fast, and what do you do when you fast? If no one has fasted, if you're interested in that, I would love to be a resource for you, and I know everyone on staff would love to be a resource for you as well. One word of caution and a challenge to you, and a challenge maybe for you to share with everyone in your group, don't just go out and do it because it's a cool thing to do, do it because you feel like God is calling you to do it. Pray about it, and ask God what He would have you to do. There have been seasons in my life where I felt challenged where I needed to fast one day a week, and so I would you know, pick one day, and I would just consistently use that one day to draw close to God and focus on Him. There were other seasons where I just felt like I need to set aside one day a month, or three days a month, or even seven days a quarter, and fast. And there have been other seasons, like the season I'm in right now, where I just haven't felt like God has challenged me to fast. That's okay. The goal of the discipline isn't necessarily just to add one more thing in your repertoire so you can look cool in front of other people, but it's to draw close to God. And so I would circle back with every one of those disciplines that Jesus talks about in this passage and say, rather than putting on a show or creating some false conundrum because that's what wants to happen around you, how can we find ways to truly genuinely connect with God? And so I'm going to end with this question that might be a good question to also discuss. What is the best way that you have found that you can connect with God? Brad, what's that for you? If you were to pick one spiritual discipline as the easiest way that you use to connect with God, what would that be? Being still
0: and listening. Um, And I'm not sure that's necessarily a a spiritual discipline, uh, but in the world that we live in, finding time to just listen... Uh, and, and be ready to not talk is like for an extended period of time. And for me, nature is that I don't have to be out looking for a, an animal or I don't have to be fishing or whatever. Literally just sitting still and, and stilling my heart and my mind to hear God is um, it's my favorite one and, and the one that I seem to, I think, benefit from the most. Mm. That's good, because generally, even in religious activities, we can get really, really busy, um, and that's not always a good thing. So, yeah, that's true. Sometimes we just chase busyness so we can say we're busy, <laughs>
1: and just stopping, God's sitting, like, and resting. Uh,
0: you, you know, I didn't ask you to do that. Oh, yeah. while well, there's that. So,
1: yes, this is true. <laughs> For me, my top... I'm going to give you my top two. Um, one of oh, my I didn't favorites... Know, I didn't know I got two options. Oh, you can have a second. Take a second, <laughs> no, man, if you want a second. <laughs> ah, too late now. Okay. Um, so my favorite is the prayer walk. Where mm-hmm. I'll go out, I'll, I'll be alone, and I'll... We have this, this gorgeous park right in front of our house in, in the middle of our square mile in, in South Tulsa. There's two ponds, and so I, it's a half-mile full circle around the two ponds. And so I love to go out there and just walk on the trail and pray and pour out my heart to God and then just listen and say, okay, God, what do you want to use? What do you want to do to encourage me? I just want to hear you right now. And it's a fun way for me to connect with God. And also there's opportunities where sometimes through that process, I'll feel prompted or led to pray for someone or intercede for maybe a house. I don't even know the person that lives there, but I feel like for whatever reason, they just need God's presence. And so I pray for that. It's a fun thing that I've, I've developed over the years, and I love doing that. The other thing that I like to do to seek God and connect with Him, I'll pick up my guitar and sing some worship songs. There's something about singing words directly to God and intentionally focusing our, our, our mind, our thoughts, and our heart on God and not on ourselves, that no matter what else is going on, We can see how big God is and how good God is, and and God's presence has a way of of sort of washing away whatever we're walking through. And I can't speak highly enough of that. I know um, there are many great folks over the years um, that have spoken into that as well, whether you look at, at John Wimber or Jack Hayford or even Richard Foster. And looking at ways to sing, to engage with God as a means of connecting with Him. That's a very powerful outlet, which he does over us. Yes, He does. Our God is a singing God. I want to end with that thought. so maybe as, as you wrap up your time with the group, maybe share, you know what are ways that you engage with God, and maybe that'll be a way to encourage everybody in your community group to pursue Him with everything you have, so that you might know him more. Now, as we wrap up, may the Lord bless you and keep you, may God cause his face to shine upon you, and may y'all have a great day. Amen? Amen.